Wonderful. Well, it's a pleasure to be uh, speaking with you about this interesting topic of the idea of uh, Abrahamic unity or Abrahamic religions. When the United States under President Trump brokered a normalization of relations between two Gulf states and Israel, this agreement was called the Abrahamic Accords, and it was indeed a momentous change. Back in the 1960s, when the Organization of Islamic Cooperation was formed, which is a kind of United Nations of uh, Muslim-aligned states, um, one of its founding objectives was to support the struggle of the Palestinian people who it said was under were under foreign occupation. And they uh, vowed to establish the uh, uh, Jerusalem al-Quds al-Sharif as the capital of the Palestinian state and safeguard its historic and Islamic character. So the United, the, as it were, the United Islamic States of the world have um, uh, vowed through this cooperation to, to, to claim the historic rights of the Palestinian people. Um, and to recognize Israel uh, is a very significant uh, shift uh, in that, uh, in that uh, historical uh, alliance of, of Arab nations and Muslim nations. And to call it the Abrahamic Accords was a really interesting uh, title. This label Abrahamic uh, used in this context is quite striking because it invokes invoke, the assumption of a common point of origin and underlying unity of the three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. What does this title Abrahamic in the, in the Abrahamic Accords, what does it represent? Could this use of the name of Abraham appealing to the idea of Abrahamic unity, could it point to a positive way forward to avoid and prevent conflict between religions? Or does it reflect, as Canadian academic Aaron Hughes said, merely a wistful hope of coexistence? Does it reflect a response to deep fears about the clash of civilizations? On the other hand, uh, could it point to a setting aside of a Judeo-Christian historical identity and an embrace of Islam as a shared point of unity between the three faiths, making Islam something which is indigenous to the West and opening the way to Islamization? Let me, let me explain how this could be. This was actually the position of Shamin al-Siddiqui, who wrote a letter many years ago to Daniel Pipes. And he said in this letter, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad we're all prophets of Islam. Islam is the common heritage of the Judeo-Christian Muslim community of America. And establishing the kingdom of God, that is the Islamic state in, indeed, is the joint responsibility of all three Abrahamic faiths. Abraham was the din, that is the faith of both Jews and Christians who later lost it through human innovations. Now the Muslims want to remind their Jewish and Christian brothers and sisters of their original din, their original religion. And he concluded, these are the facts of history. <laughs> well, is this idea of Abrahamic unity or Abrahamic religion or even Abrahamic civilization, is it helpful or is it a bad idea based on wishful thinking or even worse on a kind of supersessionist theology? Well, in the Quran, the expression, the religion of Abraham is emphasized repeatedly. What is this religion of Abraham in the Quran? Well, it's clearly the message being brought by Muhammad, the prophet of the Quran. It is Islam, which is the religion of Abraham in the Quran, in contrast to, and in a sense, in rebuke of Judaism and Christianity. 
it is Islam which represents the faith of Abraham. The Quran says that the followers of Muhammad have the best claim to Abraham. In Surah 368, it says, surely the people nearest to Abraham are those who followed him and this prophet that is Muhammad and those who believe God is the ally of the believers. If you accept the premise that Islam is Abrahamic, then it follows from the claims of the Quran that the one authentic Abrahamic faith is in fact Islam. Indeed, in the Quran, Christians and Jews are rebuked for commending their faith to the Muslim Arabs. Muslims, the Quran asserts, are following the religion of Abraham already. Furthermore, the Quran claims that Abraham was neither a Christian nor a Jew, but he was a Muslim. Indeed, throughout the Quran, Abraham is presented as a prototypical messenger or prophet of Islam, a model monotheist in the Islamic understanding. Strikingly, he's also said to have been the one who called people by the name Muslims or submitters. In the same vein, the Quran asserts that Abraham taught the religion of Abraham, which was the same as the religion of Moses, Noah, and Jesus. That's in Surah 42, verse 13. And just like, Ab just like Muhammad, Abraham is said to have received scripture from Allah. He was a model of uh, Muhammad as a prophet of, of God. Well, it's really interesting and quite striking that the use of Abraham as a label for these three religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam is actually quite recent. In the 19th century, the phrase was mainly used by Christian scholars uh, to refer to an idea that Abraham had a sort of primitive uh, faith that preceded the Torah, preceded the, the faith of Israel. Um, and then it begins to be used more and more in reference to monotheistic faiths from about 1960 onwards. I'd like to share um, this screen of a, an n-gram, a Google n-gram. And this is a, um, a plot of the frequency of the expression Abrahamic religion uh, in, um, from 1800 right to the present. And you see that it's, it's used in the, in the 19th century in that sense of a sort of primitive um, pre-Israelite faith. Yeah, so this uh, engram uh, from Google shows the frequency of the use of the term Abrahamic religion. And in the, in the 19th century, it is used to refer to sort of a primitive pre-Israelite faith. And then it falls out of use altogether. And then the term begins to be used again around about 1960, gradually slowly increasing until the year 2000 when the use of the term explodes dramatically and it gets picked up enormously, basically after 9-11. After um, so why did the term come into use around about 1960? And uh, why did it explode after 9-11? After well, the term begins to be used more around about 1960, this idea of Abrahamic faiths, because of the work of the uh, French Catholic priest Louis Massignon and his Lebanese Maronite student Joachim Mubarak. Massignon regarded Islam as a genuine revelation from God, and he thought of Muhammad as a genuine prophet. He was a Catholic priest uh, himself. Um, and then his student Mubarak in 1951 wrote a doctoral dissertation, Abraham in the Quran, Abraham dans le Quran. This work influenced discussion of Islam in Vatican II 
And the idea that Islam was a profession of the faith of Abraham made its way into the Catholic catechism today, which says that the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the creator in the first place among whom are the Muslims. These profess to hold the faith of Abraham and together with us, they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. And, and from those discussions of uh, Vatican II and the discussion of Islam as a, as a representation of the faith of Abraham, the term Abrahamic religion made its way into interfaith dialogue and ultimately into religious studies. So today it's the standard term that's used in religious studies to refer to Judaism, uh, Islam and, and Christianity as monotheistic faiths. So it's a comparatively recent invention. And it comes out of a Quranic milieu. It comes out of a framework which has been deeply shaped by Islam. Massignon and Mubarak had this vision of a reconciliation and coexistence between the three faiths grounded in an Abrahamic unity. And I think in the Middle East, in the context um, that Mubarak was writing in, that really is grounded in an, in a, in an Islamic polity, really, uh, with Judaism and Christianity uh, forming a kind of a unity under in an Islamic frame. And the problem with this idea uh, that they championed is that um, it, it leads to an Islamic state. <laughs> the idea of coexistence of the three faiths uh, framed by a Quranic idea of an Abrahamic religion uh, leads ultimately to the Sharia and ultimately to jihad. I think Lebanon is a, a lived political example of this uh, glorious dream of utopian coexistence gone horribly wrong. And it's interesting to note the trajectory of Abraham in the Quran. Early on in the Quran, in the what's called the Meccan period, Muhammad is issuing warnings about an imminent destructive act of God. And he cites the story of Abraham then. And Abraham is cited uh, to the Meccans as a model of forbearance to strengthen the believers as they wait for the end to come. So he's a model of a monotheist amongst polytheists. On the other hand, later in the Quran, when Muhammad begins to pursue violence and enmity against former friends and relatives, even members of his own family, um, Abraham is co-opted for that as well. Uh, and you have Abraham described in the Quran as the model of perfect hatred. There's a really striking video uh, when ISIS was rising of one of the ISIS leaders tearing up his, his passport. I think it was an Albanian passport um, and uh, destroying it and, and quoting Abraham as the model of perfect hatred. Um, Abraham was his inspiration uh, for his, uh, his view of jihad and his renunciation of his former citizenship. So there's a, a kind of a, a sting in the end of the tale if you follow the Abraham of the Quran through to his logical conclusion. What about the enthusiastic uptake of the idea of Abrahamic religion over the past 20 years? Well, I think it's a response to 9-11. It's a symptom of the West's struggle to respond to Islam and to find a way forward that allowed uh, for peaceful coexistence. And the, the way that that has been embraced is, is this hope for an Abrahamic unity or a kind of reconciliation and a peaceful coexistence between the faiths. It's a response to the class of civilizations thesis. It's a response to the experience of jihad. The problem is, uh, theologically, Abraham is not a point of unity. 
In Judaism, he's considered to be a Torah observant Jew, uh, in effect. In Christianity, he's the man who lived by faith. He's the kind of stick to beat over the heads of those who are Torah observant. It's a challenge to the Torah. Um, in Islam, he's the prototypical Muslim, a follower of Islam, a symbol of the rejection of Christianity and Judaism uh, and their, uh, their loss of, of genuine Islamic faith, which was the religion of Abraham. And ultimately, he ends up having perfect hatred against rejectors of Islam. Abraham is not actually a figure of unity when you look at how he's understood in those three religions. As welcome as the Abraham Accords are, the name is a misnomer. Um, it's understandable why the word Abraham was injected into that. But peace, I don't think, is to be found in a synthesis of the three monotheistic religions. Uh, I don't think the peace can be grounded on a shared theological understanding, but I think it can be based on basic human respect and shared common interests based on political realities. Peaceful coexistence, I don't think, can ultimately be found by invoking some kind of spiritually, spiritual unity through Abraham. That pathway leads to theological conflict, fragmentation, and not to cooperation. So Abraham is not actually a natural point of unity, and uh, I wouldn't commend looking to the idea of Abraham as the, as the kind of touchstone of peaceful coexistence. I'm going to stop there and hand it over for questions. All right, thank you so much. Hopefully there's no more difficulties. Uh, so the first one in from Judith Hershon is, uh, Abraham preceded the Torah. The covenant did not take place until Mount Sinai. Can you please comment? Yes, that's right. Um, but Abraham is understood as someone who was obedient and faithful to God. And so um, I think, I believe he's understood as a, uh, as a, there's a reference in, in Genesis to him being righteous. And um, he's understood to be a forerunner of Torah observance, a model of, uh, of faithfulness to God. That's from the Jewish perspective. Uh, I'm, I'm not a rabbi, <laughs> but that's my understanding of the, of the Jewish stance on, on Abraham. Whereas in the Christian tradition, relying on Paul in Romans, he's seen as the man who lived by faith and not by law. So there's a, a very different understanding in Judaism and Christianity about Abraham. Wonderful, thank you. From Carrie, do you think that the Abrahamic religion will help solving the most complicated issues like the Palestinian-Israeli conflict? I know you just made that last point there, uh, but do you think it might help in that case? I don't think it is a, a, a basis of peaceful coexistence. Um, the problem is, from the Islamic side, to invoke the name of Abraham invokes um, a kind of symbol of supersessionism, that is that Islam replaces or restores Judaism and Christianity to their original Islamic character. So uh, I don't think it's helpful. It sends the wrong signal. Um, it, it's not a basis for coexistence. I think, you know, we, we should be able to work together as human beings with shared interests and and basic human recognition of the, of the right of each other to exist and believe and enjoy human freedoms. I don't think that can be grounded on, on, on the figure of Abraham. And I think it's misleading to do so. It sends misleading signals to the parties involved. Thank you. From Stephen Gerzoff, uh, this concept of Abrahamic originality of Judaism and Christianity, is this the original cultural appropriation? <laughs> I, I think it's uh, it's used that way. 
it's used that way yeah and and you know in a sense paul writing in romans is wanting to claim abraham for his messianic uh, faith and islam claims abraham again as a kind of model of of the prophet of islam so yeah it's a highly he's a highly contested figure understood thank you from arnold landy uh, is it claimed that Abraham was the first Muslim as well as the first prophet? He's not claimed to be the first prophet. Um, he's, he's mentioned a lot in the Quran, I think second only to Moses, but he's claimed to be the, the person who, who, uh, who, who introduced the term Muslim. Yeah, so um, he, I, I, the Quran doesn't have a very good sense of chronology of, of the figures of the old, of the old Testament or the, Hebrew scriptures. So um, I wouldn't say that he's said to be the first, but he's he's understood to be the source of, uh, of a generational line in Islam of prophets. Um, the idea in Islam of prophethood is that there's a, is, there's a kind of generations of prophets that are descended from each other. And you have, you have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then, you know, and so on. So Islam has that idea, but it doesn't actually say he was the first. In fact, some some Muslims call Adam a prophet uh, of Allah. So he's sometimes called the first. Thank you. From Madan, uh, Judaism is, is not quite like Islam or Christianity. Uh, there, there's no uh, trying to convert anyone or launching wars for that. Uh, why are the three religions a family? Well, I don't think they are. I don't think um, they have a family resemblance. I mean, I think that uh, I, I discussed this in my book called The Quran and Its Biblical Reflexes. I think Christianity arises out of Judaism, out of Second Temple Judaism. That's very clear and not in dispute. But the standing of Islam in relation to those two faiths is, is quite complex. And it's not clear that it's an inherited faith. That is a faith that develops out of Judaism and Christianity in the way that Christianity developed out of Judaism. Um, so I, I, I'm not in favor of the family tree model, where you have this sort of tree with one religion developing out of another. I think it's misleading, gives a wrong impression, and we, we, we fail to understand the differences between the faiths if, we, if we're too wedded to that way of viewing them. Thank you. Much appreciated. Uh, from Mir Herzl Melmed, is there any comments from the Muslim states who have made peace with Israel that indicates how they view Abraham within Islam? Um, I, I haven't studied their public statements about that, but I, they wouldn't be changing what the Quran says. You know, they're not, they're not going to come out and um, say Abraham was not a Muslim prophet. You know, that's, that's just not going to happen. Uh, the term Abraham is invoked in these sorts of discussions, isn't it? Um, I think one of the Gulf states is an Abrahamic house where they have a like a church, a synagogue and a mosque all within the same complex. How they view that is another thing. Like it, that's a, an acknowledgement of the, of the shared origin from their perspective of those faiths. But still from an Islamic perspective, uh, Abraham was in fact a Muslim prophet. Um, so it's a it's a sort of it's an outreach by them to Judaism and Christianity, but the purpose of that outreach is, in a sense, to encompass Judaism and Christianity within an Islamic frame, uh, and and that is a that's a kind of move that you'll see Muslims making again and again in the context of invoking the name of Abraham. 
thank you. We have a question from an anonymous viewer, and to put this delicately, uh, how can the Quran preach stoning of, of non-Muslim Islamic people uh, while also being based as the Abrahamic religion? Yeah, I'm not quite sure what the background of that is. The Quran doesn't um, doesn't promote stoning of uh, non-Islamic people. Um, it's the Quran's understanding of Judaism and Christianity of Jews and Christians is that figures like Jesus, um, John the Baptist, Moses, Aaron, um, Abraham, they were all prophets of Islam and they taught Islam. But the Jews and the Christians have lost their way. They have corrupted their original religion and even distorted their texts, which are no longer reliable. And so there's a tolerance extended to Jews and Christians because they are understood to be derived in their, their religious identity derives from Islam. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a very limited tolerance. Uh, and really, they should convert to Islam. I think the Quran says that, you know, a good Jew becomes a Muslim. And um, uh, that, that's a view that's been expressed by a number of Muslim scholars down the ages. And same about Christianity as well. So from this perspective, um, if, you know, if Solomon ever built a temple in Jerusalem, it was a mosque. And that is why, um, from the Islamic perspective, uh, Jerusalem is, is an Islamic heritage. It, it historically belongs to Muslims because David and Solomon were Muslims, Muslim, Muslim prophets. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, this is a kind of a supersessionism that, that in a way, um, Islam replaces Judaism and Christianity, but it does so by preceding them. So it, it was the original faith and they lost their way. And now Islam has called calls Jews and Christians to come back to their original faith. And so when, from an orthodox Islamic perspective, Jews and Christians are called to the faith of Abraham in an Abrahamic dialogue, they're being called to Islam. They're being called to embrace their roots, their true roots, which is, which is Islam. The problem with that, that whole theological frame is that it is, of course, a rejection, a fundamental rejection of Judaism and Christianity. It, it treats them as corrupted uh, distortions of Islam. Uh, and it, I don't think it leads to peace. So the idea of a coexistence based on that thesis, that Christianity and Judaism are Abrahamic religions in the Quranic sense, actually leads ultimately to uh, sidelining of Judaism Christianity, the dominance of Islam, and ultimately leads to jihad. Because in Islam, if you reject the message of Muhammad, you put yourself in the position of being an enemy, ultimately. And uh, so it's, a, it's a, not a very good foundation for, for mutual coexistence. You know, there's a, there's a problem often in, in the last 20 years since 9-11, there's been a, a temptation to say, let's find a point of unity in religion. And I don't think that's, that's really going to happen. I think the, the point of, of coexistence and peaceful mutual respect is not in, um, to be found in Abraham. It's to be found in more general human principles of, of mutual well, of mutual respect, acknowledgement of, of the value of human beings and, and working together on, certainly working together, but not on some sort of fake religious basis that's actually a point of fundamental difference between the faiths.
Thank you. From Jerry Weiner, how do Muslims justify Abraham as being Muslim historically uh, with Islam not being established until the sixth or seventh century? Well, they don't really justify it historically. Islam is not based on historical evidence. It's based on faith, the Quran, and the life of Muhammad. And where there's a conflict between the evidence of history and the, and the contents of the Quran or the life of Muhammad, um, the orthodox Muslim position is to say the Quran has it right, and it's the correct interpretation. Um, and, and there's lots of pro problems in the Quran with history and ahistorical elements in the Quran. There's evidence the Quran describes Mary, the mother of Jesus, as being the same person as Miriam, the sister of Moses. You know, the, the whole chronology of the, of, the, of the Bible is kind of misunderstood in the Quran. Um, it's, it's a matter of faith taking precedence over evidence. And you, you could argue that, that there's a problem with Islam's whole epistemology, like how do we know what is the truth? But in general, if the Quran says it's true, it must be true. So you, Muslims look at history through the grid of the, of the vision of the Quran. I mean, not all Muslims, but this is the orthodox mainstream view. And, um, and actually, you know, one of the effects of that, for example, is the Palestinian Authority has been hostile to archaeological work on the Temple Mount. It's destroyed a lot of materials. It's, you know, a lot of graves have been dug up and destroyed. And it, the, 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 the Palestinian Authority is not interested in actual historical evidence of who was in the land in the past. It's driven by a narrative that comes out of the Quran and out of the Islamic religious sensibilities. Thank you. Uh, from Carrie Hillebrand, how do Muslim theolo theologians reconcile their view of Jesus with a prophet and the Christian concept of God, or son of God or Messiah? Um, yes, so the Islamic perspective is that Jesus was a prophet like Muhammad. And, and in fact, all the stories of the prophets in the Quran are really really serve to validate and illustrate the validity of Muhammad, the prophet of the Quran. They, they serve as the backdrop or the context for presenting Islam in the Quran. And um, Jesus is appropriated as one of these Islamic prophets. Um, he, the Quran rejects the term son of God. This is, this is considered association or shirk, which is to say that anything is like God. So uh, you cannot accept that Jesus would be divine. Um, the Quran explicitly rejects that and, and repeatedly. It calls Jesus the Messiah, al-Masih, but there's no content to that term in the Quran. Um, it's actually irrelevant what it means. It's just a, a label without any context. So there's, there's, no, there's no background. It's just a term without meaning. It's an example, actually, of what happens when the Quran takes biblical materials and repurposes them for something quite different. I mean, I would say even the Quranic understanding of a prophet is rather different from a biblical understanding as well. Um, let me tell you, give you a little analogy uh, that might be helpful. Some people have described Islam in relation to Judaism or Christianity as a sort of remodeled church or a remodeled synagogue. So there was a building and then it was extended a little bit, a bit like Hagia Sophia, the, the former cathedral in Istanbul, which has been turned into a mosque. I don't think that's a good way of describing the relationship of Islam to Christianity or Judaism. It's more like the, the synagogue or the church was demolished and the building materials were lying in a heap. And someone came along and took those materials and they built a very different building. 
But anyone from the former church or former synagogue that walked through that mosque could recognize pillars and, and bricks and, and features from the old building. But they are all in a completely different array. They're, they're performing different functions. Things are structured differently. So the Jesus of the Quran is a, is a Quranic messenger. He's a Mohammedan prophet in a way. He's not, um, he's not, a, he's not a particularly Jewish figure. <laughs> He's, uh, he's certainly not the son of God. He's the Messiah in, in name only without any content to it, to that. Um, there's no concept of what that would mean. His function is basically to um, validate the, the, the status of, the, of, the, of Muhammad as the prophet of the Quran. And in fact, he, he preaches martyrdom at one point and, and that those who die fighting will, will enjoy paradise. Uh, he's, uh, he becomes a kind of a a sounding board for Muhammad to pro proclaim his message. Wonderful, thank you so much. Uh, we have a couple more questions left. Uh, you speak of Abraham in the Quran. Is he mentioned in any of the Hadith? I'm not sure um, about that. Yeah, that's a good question. He probably would be, but I haven't, I haven't uh, studied that in detail. He's, the Hadiths are the traditions of Muhammad's teaching. They are recorded two or three hundred years after Muhammad, um, and yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. From Kerry again, uh, do you think that the idea of Abrahamic religion will be accepted among the followers of all three religions? Well, I I hope not. <laughs> I mean, it, it's already accepted by Muslims. Abrahamic religion is the religion of of Islam. You know, that's. <laughs> That's not going to change. Uh, in fact, the Quran speaks of Islam as the religion of Abraham. Uh, so, so that that's going to stay the same. I, I, from the Christian tradition, we, as Christians, we speak of Abraham's faith rather than his religion. Um, it's. I don't think it's a helpful. Uh, I don't think it's a helpful frame. It, it is part of religious studies. Like it's become in the academic in academic context, it's the term to refer to these three monotheistic religions, but it's not helpful from a spiritual or religious point of view. Um, I, I'm, I'm opposed to it, basically. I, I think it's a really unhelpful way to frame, um, even to frame interfaith dialogue with Muslims or partnership between Muslims and Christians across a political divide. I don't think it's a helpful uh, place to start. Um, find let's find other ways better ways of doing it than appealing to a concept that's actually come out of the Quran through Christians uh, basically embracing the idea of uh, an Islamic state, actually, in which Christians and Jews can exist peacefully. Um, this is not a helpful way to frame interfaith dialogue, um, despite our fears. You know, we, people are afraid because of 9-11. They're afraid of the class of, clash of civilizations. But to embrace Abraham is really, it is clutching at straws. It's not, it's not a helpful way forward. Understood. And on that note, uh, do you have any recommendations as to, to what would be helpful? Yeah, we want a brand, don't we? We want to kind of label to say this is how we're doing this. Uh, I would just speak about diplomacy, cooperation, mutual interests, you know, economic development, peace, uh, human rights. We have lots of um, we have lots of uh, ways of, of talking about good reasons for working together. Um, just being rational, realistic, realism, you know, pragmatism. Um, 
respect for human beings, these are, these are all available to us in this age. One of the problems is that sometimes parties even co-opt these things and try and use them for religious purposes, which, which is not helpful. Human rights becomes a label for a particular view of human rights. But I think we can just fight for a universalistic understanding of the value of human beings, of human dignity, and uh, call people to work together on that basis. In one sense, you might say, look, it doesn't matter if the Abrahamic Accords, Accords are called Abrahamic. My point is that it's actually a misleading label and it's not going to, it's, it's something that's been invented to attach to fundamentally what those, uh, you know, what, what Bahrain and the UAE has wanted to do is nothing to do with Abraham. It's about how can we function as a reasonable country in, in the contemporary political scenario. And, and it's reasonable and rational to recognize Israel and work together with Israel and not to be in, a, in an eternal war with Israel. So, um, you know, in a sense, it doesn't really matter what the label is, but theologically, spiritually, the label, I think, is really confusing and unhelpful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, before we go, can you just tell our viewers where we can find some more of your work? Uh, thank you, Stacey. Yes, I'm, uh, my writings are on markdury.com, uh, M-A-R-K-D-U-R-I-E, and everything I write gets posted there, so I, I commend that. There's also links to books and, uh, and other, other opportunities to engage with my work there too. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Dr. Dury, for taking time to speak with us today. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Wonderful. For our viewers, please join us uh, on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for an update from Ashley Perry. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day. And I apologize again for my internet connection <laughs> issues. Here we go. Bye.